Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep. Slow, quiet stories to help you fall asleep. Last week, I was talking about how the flowers would be arriving soon. And after more than 10 years of living here now, I feel like I have a bit of a grasp on when things change and when they show up. But there are still a lot of mysteries about living in the country to me. One of the things I realized this week is that the shooting stars, which are the first flowers to come up, come up at the same time as the full moon in February, or they did this year anyway. So I'm going to try to make a note of that and see if the same thing happens next year. I went to take a picture to put up on the blog like I mentioned I would last week, and it was all blurry. So I'll take another one and put it up there this week. If you didn't get a chance to go to the website this week, I did put up an article from the Wall Street Journal. A reporter reached out to me last month because of something I tweeted about chosen families and asked me to tell my story. And so there's a little bit of that and a picture in the Wall Street Journal from this past week. If you want to read it, there's a link in the blog. The website is at www.listentosleep.com, and it's got a searchable tagged index of every story. So it's a good place to send someone if you want to recommend the podcast to them. It's also a place where you can go to read the blog or leave a review or find out more about the Patreon. The Patreon is where you can get the podcast without any ads or introductions for just $1 a month. That $1 a month goes towards my retirement fund to help me be your storyteller in my retirement one day. This week, Diane from Amsterdam joined the Patreon. Thank you so much. Vincent also joined the Patreon. Thank you, Vincent. And Susan, thank you. Emmy, thank you. And Teresa, thank you so much. And just a quick reminder again, if you want something on the Patreon and you can't afford it, let me know. You can drop me a line on the website and I will send you a link to an RSS feed where you can get it all for free. I don't ever want money to keep anyone from getting the sleep they deserve. One thing everyone can do to help support the podcast is to leave a review where you listen. It helps so much, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, because the podcast has grown over the past year mainly on Spotify. Thank you to all of you who listen there. It's a bit of a different world over on Apple Podcasts, and more people are starting to listen there. So if you could leave a review at Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate it. This week's story is another classic by Mark Twain. It is a musing on what may or may not have happened in the Garden of Eden. Let's take a deep breath. In. And out. As your breath goes out, just feel yourself 
sinking into your mattress, letting go of anything that's still lingering from the day. Let's take another deep breath in. And out. It's quiet time. Your time. Time to rest. Another deep breath in. And out. As I'm reading to you, if you start to feel tired, that's okay. Just let yourself nod off. Eve's Diary Translated from the original 0300 Saturday I am almost a whole day old now. I arrived yesterday. That is, as it seems to me. And it must be so, for if there was a day before yesterday, I was not there when it happened, or I should remember it. It could be, of course, that it did happen, and that I was not noticing. Very well. I will be very watchful now. And if any day before yesterday's happen, I will make a note of it. It will be best to start right and not let the record get confused. For some instinct tells me that these details are going to be important to the historian someday. For... I feel like an experiment. I feel exactly like an experiment. It would be impossible for a person to feel more like an experiment than I do. And so, I am coming to feel convinced that that is what I am. An experiment. Just an experiment and nothing more. Then, if I am an experiment, am I the whole of it? No, I think not. I think the rest of it is part of it. I am the main part of it, but I think the rest of it has its share in the matter. Is my position assured? Or do I have to watch it and take care of it? The latter, perhaps. Some instinct tells me that eternal vigilance is the price of supremacy. This is a good phrase, I think, for one so young. Everything looks better today than it did yesterday. In the rush of finishing up yesterday, the mountains were left in a ragged condition, 
and some of the plains were so cluttered with rubbish and remnants that the aspects were quite distressing. Noble and beautiful works of art should not be subjected to haste, and this majestic new world is indeed a most noble and beautiful work. And certainly, marvelously near to being perfect, notwithstanding the shortness of the time. There are too many stars in some places, and not enough in others. But that can be remedied presently, no doubt. The moon got loose last night and slid down and fell out of the scheme. A very great loss. It breaks my heart to think of it. There isn't another thing among the ornaments and decorations that is comparable to it for beauty and finish. It should have been fastened better, if we can only get it back again. But of course, there is no telling where it went to. And besides, whoever gets it will hide it. I know it because I would do it myself. I believe I can be honest in all other matters, but I already begin to realize that the core and center of my nature is love of the beautiful, a passion for the beautiful, and that it would not be safe to trust me with a moon that belonged to another person and that person didn't know I had it. I could give up a moon that I found in the daytime, because I should be afraid someone was looking. But if I found it in the dark, I am sure I should find some kind of an excuse for not saying anything about it. For I do love moons. They are so pretty and so romantic. I wish we had five or six. I would never go to bed. I should never get tired of lying on the moss bank and looking up at them. Stars are good, too. I wish I could get some to put in my hair. But I suppose I never can. You would be surprised to find out how far off they are, for they do not look it. When they first showed, last night, I tried to knock some down with a pole, but it didn't reach, which astonished me. Then I tried clods till I was all tired out, but I never got one. It was because I am left-handed and cannot throw good. Even when I aimed at the one I wasn't after, I couldn't hit the other one, though I did make some close shots, for I saw the black blot of the clod sail right into the midst of the golden clusters forty or fifty times, just barely missing them. And if I could have held out a little longer, maybe I could have got one. So I cried a little, 
which was natural, I suppose, for one of my age. And after I was rested, I got a basket and started for a place on the extreme rim of the circle, where the stars were close to the ground and I could get them with my hands, which would be better anyway, because I could gather them tenderly then and not break them. But it was farther than I thought, and at last I had to give up. I was so tired I couldn't drag my feet another step. And besides, they were sore and hurt me very much. I couldn't get back home. It was too far and turning cold. But I found some tigers and nestled in among them and was adorably comfortable. And their breath was sweet and pleasant because they live on strawberries. I had never seen a tiger before, but I knew them in a minute by the stripes. If I could have one of those skins, it would make a lovely gown. Today, I am getting better ideas about distances. I was so eager to get hold of every pretty thing that I giddily grabbed for it, sometimes when it was too far off and sometimes when it was but six inches away, but seemed afoot, alas, with thorns in between. I learned a lesson. I also made an axiom, all out of my own head, my very first one. The scratched experiment shuns the thorn. I think it is a very good one for one so young. I followed the other experiment around yesterday afternoon at a distance to see what it might be for, if I could. But I was not able to make out. I think it is a man. I had never seen a man, but it looked like one, and I feel sure that is what it is. I realize that I feel more curiosity about it than about any of the other reptiles. If it is a reptile, and I suppose it is, for it has frowsy hair and blue eyes and looks like a reptile. It has no hips. It tapers like a carrot. When it stands, it spreads itself apart like a derrick. So I think it is a reptile, though it may be architecture. I was afraid of it at first and started to run every time it turned around, for I thought it was going to chase me. But by and by, I found it was only trying to get away. So after that, I was not timid anymore, but tracked it along several hours, about 20 yards behind, which made it nervous and unhappy. 
At last, it was a good deal worried and climbed a tree. I waited a good while, then gave it up and went home. Today, the same thing over. I've got it up the tree again. Sunday. It is up there yet. Resting, apparently. But that is a subterfuge. Sunday isn't the day of rest. Saturday is appointed for that. It looks to me like a creature that is more interested in resting than anything else. It would tire me to rest so much. It tires me just to sit around and watch the tree. I do wonder what it is for. I never see it do anything. They returned the moon last night, and I was so happy. I think it is very honest of them. It slid down and fell off again, but I was not distressed. There is no need to worry when one has that kind of neighbors. They will fetch it back. I wish I could do something to show my appreciation. I would like to send them some stars, for we have more than we can use. I mean, I, not we, for I can see that the reptile cares nothing for such things. It has low tastes and is not kind. When I went there yesterday evening in the gloaming, it had crept down and was trying to catch the little speckled fishes that play in the pool. And I had to clod it to make it go up the tree again and let them alone. I wonder if that is what it is for. Hasn't it any heart? Hasn't it any compassion for those little creatures? Can it be that it was designed and manufactured for such ungentle work? It has the look of it. One of the clods took it back of the ear, and it used language. It gave me a thrill, for it was the first time I had ever heard speech except my own. I did not understand the words, but they seemed expressive. When I found it could talk, I felt a new interest in it, for I love to talk. I talk all day, and in my sleep, too. And I am very interesting. But if I had another to talk to, I could be twice as interesting, and would never stop, if desired. If this reptile is a man, it isn't an it, is it? That wouldn't be grammatical, would it? I think it would be he. I think so. In that case, one would parse it thus. Nominative. He. Dative. Him. Possessive. Hisn. Well, I will consider it a man and call it he until it turns out to be something else. 
this will be handier than having so many uncertainties. Next week, Sunday. All the week, I tagged around after him and tried to get acquainted. I had to do the talking because he was shy, but I didn't mind it. He seemed pleased to have me around, and I used the sociable we a good deal because it seemed to flatter him to be included. Wednesday. We are getting along very well indeed now, and getting better and better acquainted. He does not try to avoid me anymore, which is a good sign, and shows that he likes to have me with him. That pleases me, and I study to be useful to him in every way I can, so as to increase his regard. During the last day or two, I have taken all the work of naming things off his hands, and this has been a great relief to him, for he has no gift in that line, and is evidently very grateful. He can't think of a rational name to save him, but I do not let him see that I am aware of his defect. Whenever a new creature comes along, I name it before he has time to expose himself by an awkward silence. In this way, I have saved him many embarrassments. I have no defect like this. The minute I set eyes on an animal, I know what it is. I don't have to reflect a moment. The right name comes out instantly, just as if it were an inspiration, as no doubt it is, for I am sure it wasn't in me half a moment before. I seem to know just by the shape of the creature and the way it acts what animal it is. When the dodo came along, he thought it was a wild cat. I saw it in his eye. But I saved him, and I was careful not to do it in a way that could hurt his pride. I just spoke up in quite a natural way of pleased surprise, and not as if I was dreaming of conveying information, and said, Well, I do declare if there isn't a dodo. I explained, without seeming to be explaining, how I know it for a dodo. And although I thought maybe he was a little piqued that I knew the creature when he didn't, it was quite evident that he admired me. That was very agreeable. And I thought of it more than once with gratification before I slept. How little a thing can make us happy when we feel that we have earned it. Thursday. My first sorrow. Yesterday, he avoided me and seemed to wish I would not talk to him. I could not believe it and thought there was some mistake, for I loved to be with him 
and loved to hear him talk. And so how could it be that he could feel unkind toward me when I had not done anything? But at last it seemed true. So I went away and sat lonely in the place where I first saw him, the morning we were made, and I did not know what he was and was indifferent about him. But now it was a mournful place, and every little thing spoke of him, and my heart was very sore. I did not know why very clearly, for it was a new feeling. I had not experienced it before. It was all a mystery, and I could not make it out. But when night came, I could not bear the lonesomeness, and went to the new shelter which he had built, to ask him what I had done that was wrong, and how I could mend it and get back his kindness again. But he put me out in the rain, and it was my first sorrow. Sunday. It is pleasant again, now, and I am happy. But those were heavy days. I do not think of them when I can help it. I tried to get him some of those apples, but I cannot learn to throw straight. I failed, but I think the good intention pleased him. They are forbidden and he says I shall come to harm. But so I come to harm through pleasing him. Why shall I care for that harm? Monday. This morning I told him my name, hoping it would interest him. But he did not care for it. It is strange. If he should tell me his name, I would care. I think it would be pleasanter to my ears than any other sound. He talks very little. Perhaps it is because he is not bright and is sensitive about it and wishes to conceal it. It is such a pity that he should feel so, for brightness is nothing. It is in the heart that the values lie. I wish I could make him understand that a loving good heart is riches, and riches enough, and that without it, intellect is poverty. Although he talks so little, he has quite a considerable vocabulary. This morning he used a surprisingly good word. He evidently recognized himself that it was a good one, for he worked it in twice afterward, casually. It was not good casual art. Still, it showed that he possesses a certain quality of perception. Without a doubt, that seed can be made to grow if cultivated. Where did he get that word? I do not think I ever used it. No, he took no interest in my name. I tried to hide my disappointment, but I suppose I did not succeed. I went away 
and sat on the moss bank with my feet in the water. It is where I go when I hunger for companionship, someone to look at, someone to talk to. It is not enough, that lovely body painted there in the pool, but it is something, and something is better than utter loneliness. It talks when I talk. It is sad when I am sad. It comforts me with its sympathy. It says, do not be downhearted, you poor friendless girl. I will be your friend. It is a good friend to me, and my only one. It is my sister. That first time that she forsook me, ah, oh, I shall never forget that. Never, never. My heart was lead in my body. I said, she was all I had, and now she is gone. In my despair, I said, break my heart. I cannot bear my life any more. And I hid my face in my hands, and there was no solace for me. And when I took them away, after a little, there she was again shining and beautiful, and I sprang into her arms. That was perfect happiness. I had known happiness before, but it was not like this, which was ecstasy. I never doubted her afterward. Sometimes she stayed away, maybe an hour, maybe almost the whole day, but I waited and did not doubt. I said, she is busy, or she is gone on a journey, but she will come. And it was so. She always did. At night, she would not come if it was dark, for she was a timid little thing. But if there was a moon, she would come. I am not afraid of the dark. But she is younger than I am. She was born after I was. Many and many are the visits I have paid her. She is my comfort and my refuge when life is hard. And it is mainly that. Tuesday. All the morning I was at work improving the estate. And I purposely kept away from him in the hope that he would get lonely and come. But he did not. At noon, I stopped for the day and took my recreation by flitting all about with the bees and the butterflies and reveling in the flowers. Those beautiful creatures that catch the smile of God out of the sky and preserve it. I gathered them and made them into wreaths and garlands, and clothed myself in them while I ate my luncheon. Apples, of course. Then I sat in the shade, and wished and waited. But he did not come. But no matter. Nothing would have come of it, for he does not care for flowers. He called them rubbish, 
and cannot tell one from another, and thinks it is superior to feel like that. He does not care for me. He does not care for flowers. He does not care for the painted sky at eventide. Is there anything he does care for, except building shacks to coop himself up in from the good clean rain, and thumping the melons, and sampling the grapes, and fingering the fruit on the trees to see how those properties are coming along? I laid a dry stick on the ground and tried to bore a hole in it with another one in order to carry out a scheme that I had. And soon I got an awful fright. A thin, transparent, bluish film rose out of the hole, and I dropped everything and ran. I thought it was a spirit and I was so frightened. But I looked back, and it was not coming, so I leaned against a rock and rested and panted and let my limbs go on trembling until they got steady again. Then I crept warily back, alert, watching, and ready to fly if there was occasion. And when I was come near, I parted the branches of a rose bush and peeped through, wishing the man was about. I was looking so cunning and pretty, but the sprite was gone. I went there, and there was a pinch of delicate pink dust in the hole. I put my finger on it to feel it and said, Ouch! and took it out again. It was a cruel pain. I put my finger in my mouth, and by standing first on one foot and then the other, and grunting, I presently eased my misery. Then I was full of interest and began to examine. I was curious to know what the pink dust was. Suddenly, the name of it occurred to me, though I had never heard of it before. It was fire. I was as certain of it as a person could be of anything in the world, so without hesitation I named it that, fire. I had created something that didn't exist before. I had added a new thing to the world's unaccountable properties. I realized this and was proud of my achievement and was going to run and find him and tell him about it, thinking to raise myself in his esteem. But I reflected and did not do it. No, he would not care for it. He would ask what it was good for. And what could I answer? For it was not good for something, but only beautiful, merely beautiful. So I sighed and did not go, for it wasn't good for anything. 
It could not build a shack. It could not improve melons. It could not hurry a fruit crop. It was useless. It was a foolishness and a vanity. He would despise it and say cutting words. But to me, it was not despicable. I said, oh, you fire, I love you, you dainty pink creature, for you are beautiful, and that is enough. I was going to gather it to my breast, but refrained. Then I made another maxim out of my head, though it was so nearly like the first one that I was afraid it was only a plagiarism. The burnt experiment shuns the fire. I wrought again, and when I made a good deal of fire dust, I emptied it into a handful of dry brown grass, intending to carry it home and keep it always and play with it. But the wind struck it, and it sprayed up and spat out fiercely at me, and I dropped it and ran. When I looked back, the blue spirit was towering up and stretching and rolling away like a cloud, and instantly I thought of the name of it. Smoke. Though, upon my word, I had never heard of smoke before. Soon, Brilliant yellow and red flares shot up through the smoke, and I named them in an instant flames. And I was right, too, though these were the very first flames that had ever been in the world. They climbed the trees, then flashed splendidly in and out of the vast and increasing volume of tumbling smoke and I had to clap my hands and laugh and dance in my rapture. It was so new and strange and so wonderful and so beautiful. He came running and stopped and gazed and said not a word for many minutes. Then he asked what it was. Ah, uh, it was too bad that he should ask such a direct question. I had to answer it, of course, and I did. I said it was fire. If it annoyed him that I should know and he must ask, that was not my fault. I had no desire to annoy him. After a pause, he asked, How did it come? Another direct question, and it also had to have a direct answer. I made it. The fire was traveling farther and farther off. He went to the edge of the burned place and stood looking down and said, What are these? Fire coals. He picked up one to examine it, but changed his mind and put it down again. Then he went away. Nothing interests him. 
but I was interested. There were ashes, gray and soft and delicate and pretty. I knew what they were at once. And the embers. I knew the embers, too. I found my apples and raked them out and was glad. For I am very young and my appetite is active. But I was disappointed. They were all burst open and spoiled. Spoiled, apparently. But it was not so. They were better than raw ones. Fire is beautiful. Someday, it will be useful, I think. Good night.